They are voicing their resolve to set themselves free from God's law, enforced by God's king. So they want freedom from God. They hate God. Some even say, I don't want to go to heaven because God is there. I'd rather go to hell than face God. But even in hell, God is present because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. They cannot run from God. So they voice their anger. They're angry. And we can see around us, when we speak about Jesus Christ, people, they get angry. They voice their anger. If you are preaching outside, people, they may throw things at you. They may call your names because in their fallen state, they, they want to rule themselves. They don't want to be ruled by God. Freedom has been used by Satan to fool people into thinking they can live apart from the law and the rule of God. Beginning at the garden, as we saw, the devil planted a seed of, of, of doubt. Did God actually say... In other words, the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is just an ancient square book. There is no God. You are fooled into believing the Holy Scriptures. This is what we are being told. We are constantly attacked. The Authority of scriptures, they are being questioned like never before. We can see it throughout all aspects of our lives. For instance, marriage. The Bible says that marriage is between a man and a woman. But those people, the wicked, the rebellious, the fallen, what they say, no. Marriage is what we understand as marriage. Anything, you can marry man with man, and anything is possible. Marriage is questioned. It's not as the Bible says, but as we think it is. So love, love is anything we say love is. Immorality, the Bible says that we should keep ourselves morally um, pure, but the world says, no, you have to enjoy yourself as much as you want. As long as you're not uh, killing anyone, anything that you do, if you are happy with it, go along with it. No sin, no accountability. Did God actually say? In the New Testament, when Jesus is beyond Pilate and the people, what the people say? Crucify him! 
crucify him. Away with this man. Away with Christ. We don't want Jesus. We want a murderer, Barabbas. They chose a murderer and they rejected the Son of God. We have no king but Caesar. They rather serve Caesar than serve Christ. Do you see this attitude in our days? Does human society still hate God and Jesus Christ? After centuries of Christian influence, in the last 70 years, Britain and the Western countries, they are rejecting God like never before. The sexual revolution in the 60s, the total rejection of the biblical principles, the undermining of the family, marriage, the legalization of abortion and homosexuality, plunged society back into a pre-Christian state. They say we are evolving, but in fact we are receding. Society is going back, not going forward. So you can see that um, we are living in the first century again. God is marked left, right, and center. The last census shows that for the first time, the number of those who identified as Christians fell below 50%. Even the Church of England is saying England is no longer a Christian country. The humanist society celebrates and campaigns vehemently against Christianity. Humanist UK chief Andrew Copson, he says, and I quote, we need new arrangements for our diverse and mostly secular nation where all religions and beliefs are treated equally. Changes in the House of Lords in education in all areas of public life where one religion is given priority are overdue. The government needs to listen to the survey along with the census results and start repealing outdated laws which no longer reflect or serve our society. In other words, they want to purge society from Christianity and from Judeo-Christian principles. They want a godless society. Well, we had a godless society, the Soviet Union. They were atheist society. And what happened? Officially, 250 million people, they were killed during the USSR existence. We believe that much more people, they were assassinated, they were killed. So a godless society is not good. Do you agree with Andrew Copson? Is secularism the way forward? 
Will society be able to free itself entirely from God? Will men finally be free to do whatever they like? And as a church of God, you might be asking yourself, is God oblivious to this anarchy and rebellion? It feels like, if you look around us, that God is not, God does not care, but far from it. God is ruling from his throne. We should not worry, we should not be dismayed, because God's will will be done. Why God is the king? Because he is king in heaven. His kingship is sure, so no one can overthrow God. God is king forever. Secondly, he is king in heaven. In verse 5, in verse 4, the scene is changed. Now we are taken into heaven, into God's realm. And what the psalmist says, he who sits in heaven laughs. His reaction to all the rage, all the, all the mocking, God is laughing. It is like a small ant going against the Mount Everest. It's ludicrous. To go against God is insanity. We may be intimidated and even disgusted with all the blasphemies we see and hear. We may grieve at the vile state in which human society is in. But God is not unconcerned, as we may think, but with quiet contempt. He confounds the boldness of his enemies. God does care. And God is watching over his people. Because the Bible says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He speaks love by his Son. In the gospel of grace, now is the time of salvation. He is still on the mercy seat. If you are not saved tonight, now is the time. Now is the time to come and submit yourself 
under the authority of the rule of the Almighty God. And all the hymn says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Because on that great final day, he will release all his anger on those who rejected and blasphemed against him. A day of vengeance, a day of fury is sure to come. It will be most, the most dreadful, the most fearful day in the history of humanity. Therefore, do not delay. Come to Christ. God is the supreme ruler. He is sovereign over everything. He sits enthroned in heaven. As the creator of all, he is the ruler of all. Nothing, nothing in this universe is outside his dominion or control. However, rebellion against God has taken place on earth. His sovereignty has been challenged and is challenged every day. How can I be sure that God rules on earth as he rules in heaven? If I look around, if we look around ourselves, all that we see is confusion and Christianity's influence dwindling. So every day, less and less people they call themselves Christian. But God, He is King on, on earth. His dominions extends to earth. In verse 6, we read that God exerts His kingdom on earth through his king or anointed, or his Messiah. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. While the kings of this earth are setting themselves against his rule, the plot is in vain, because the Lord has set his king on his holy hill of Zion. When God has set his king, no one can remove him. And here, the Lord speaks about his covenant with David in verse 7. God will keep his promise to David when he says, I will tell of decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, David, sorry, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David he has conquered all his enemies and 
he is on his palace and he looks and the ark of God is on, in, on a tent. And his desire is to build a temple for the ark of God. And he calls the prophet and the prophet says to him, do whatever is in your heart. If you want to build a temple to God, that's a good thing. But then God comes and tells the prophet, tell David that I will build a house for David. And his house will be eternal. And the Bible tells us, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of man, with the stripes of the sons of men. God was telling the followers of Satan, your efforts are in vain. The Messiah, God-man, Jesus Christ, would come from the Davidic line of kings. He would be born of a virgin, and he would live a perfect life. This prophecy was fulfilled on that glorious day when Christ became man, born of a virgin in humble origins. And not yet born, and attempts against his life are tried. However, God who is sovereign and his wisdom far exceeds that of man, he turns the will of the tyrants to his favor. When tyrants thought they were overcoming God, they were in fact doing God's will. When Herod ordains the death of infants, Joseph is divinely warned and flees to Egypt. Therefore, the prophecy from Hosea is fulfilled. From Egypt I called my son. Jesus became the true Israel, the true Son of God. When the enraged cross shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! They fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah who says, because he poured out his soul to death, he was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus Christ fulfilled God's word. What does it tell us is that the Bible is true. What God prophesied hundreds of years before Christ it has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are more than 300 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament, and all of them were fulfilled. 
to the letter. And on the cross, Christ establishes his kingdom. He was crowned with many crowns. He destroyed Satan and his legions once and for all when he cried, It is finished. The serpent's head was smashed, and his defeat was total. The devil was defeated on the cross. Thomas Boston tells us, It is certain that Christ fought and overcame all of his enemies. He gave them the last blow upon the cross. He seized on the spoil of his resurrection and led them in triumph at his ascension into heaven and by his peaceable possession of his throne he subjects and joy the benefit of all so from Zion the kingdom of God expanded to all the earth through the church so, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, which was small in Zion, through his power, through his victory on the cross, it went all over the world. When the Bible says here in verse 7, I will tell of the decree, what is a decree? A decree was a document with divine words. Words that were spoken by the new king after his anointing. It is also his personal covenant document. Renewing God's covenant commitment to the dynasty of David. In this document were the terms and the nature of his authority. When it says, you are my son, and I have begotten you, it reinforces the Davidic covenant. All these descendants of David, they would, on their coronation day, be adopted by God as his son. However, the highest and closest relationship between God and man cannot exist in its closest form. In other words, because of sin, the earthly kings, the descendants of David, they could not achieve a, the closest and the most intimate relationship with God. Only the God-man, the fully man, the fully God, Jesus Christ, he was able to attain such a close relationship because Jesus even though he became one of us he was fully man if you read the gospels you will see that Jesus he um, he, he was tired he was hungry he was despised he suffered, but Jesus had no sin. 
He was and he is God. His human nature coexisted harmoniously with his divine nature. We call this the hypostatic union. We don't know how his God, his um, godly nature and his human nature, they coexisted. We don't know, it's a mystery to us. But they were able to coexist harmoniously, peacefully. He, as God, maintains a divine communion with the Father and with the Holy Ghost, which is inseparable and indivisible. The works of the Trinity are indivisible. They are bound. Their bond are not, cannot be broken. So Jesus Christ, the man Christ, he was able to attain a relationship with the Father that none of us could ever have. That's why the pro prophecy of verse 7 was fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His divine appointment means universal dominion. From a small hill from, from Zion, his kingdom is spread all over the earth. And if you read Psalm 72, the psalmist looks forward to this universal reign of the Messiah in the new heavens and the new earth. In that great day of the judgment, all his enemies will be defeated. Christ is not hidden behind his throne in fear because the world rejects him more and more. He is not afraid of the big tyrants of this world. He is not afraid of China. He is not afraid of Russia. He is not afraid of the atheists. They all will one day bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, when asked if God was on the side of the Union in the Civil War, he replied, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Is that your concern tonight? Are you concerned that you are on God's side? Or has the world fooled you into thinking that in the end all will be fine? I will just die as a dog dies. Life is a big party. No judgment, 
no accountability. I will live as I please. Or have you submitted yourself under God's rule? And you acknowledge Christ as your sovereign king. Finally, a warning for all of us, especially for those who oppose Christ and God. According to the psalmist here, from verse 10, Now therefore, all kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Wisdom is to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. Cry out to Christ and confess our sins. If you are not saved tonight, I beseech you, I urge you to cry out to Christ, to ask the Lord Jesus to save you. If you ask the Lord Jesus, if you humble yourself, if you're not proud, the proud will not acknowledge the sovereignty of Christ and God. He will deny, he will reject the word of God. But the humble, he will acknowledge his sinfulness and his guilt. And Jesus will lovely and tenderly, tenderly receive him in his presence. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. But if you, if you persist in your stubbornness, if, you, if you're proud and you ignore God's law and command, what do you need to do to go to hell? Just do nothing. That's all. You don't need to thump your nose at God. You don't have to blaspheme the name of Jesus. You don't have to be an adulterer. Just coast on. You know what is the worst sin of all? I will do it my way. I don't need God. Worse, many who think they are righteous are living sinful lives. That's really it. To go to hell means you simply do nothing about your sinfulness. And you just stay as you are. We ignore the calls and the pleads from the Holy Spirit. What will be your response? Rebellion or submission to Christ? Where 
we will spend eternity in eternal bliss with the righteous in glory, celebrating the supper of the Lamb, or you will be condemned to live eternally in untold torment, terrors and suffering with all the filth of the earth, May God bless us, and may you submit yourself if you're not saved. I cannot stress enough. If you're not in Christ, I beseech you, I plead with you, come to Christ. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. May God bless us. We will sing our final hymn, number 511, from our songbooks. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Five hundred and eleven. And we may stand to sing when the music begins. <laughs> 